Chill is in the air, Hunter. Yeah, it's my favorite time of year. Happy Easter to you, buddy. Happy, e- well, almost. Well, it's it's kind of the opposite one. Yeah, uh, it is. The one where he did more living than the, the Easter one. You know, like, sometimes you're in the mood for a new hope, but you can't think of the name, and you're like, is the Empire Strikes Back? Oh, no, it's Return of the Jedi. That's right. That's right. I, I think that. you just, I don't really believe in heresy, but if yeah. it's real, you just committed it. Probably. Welcome, friends and family, to the wonderful uh, holiday, and by holiday, I mean Christmas, because uh, Kwanzaa was made up by a rapist, edition of bom, bom. <laughs> of Carl Pulling. It's good to see you today um, it, with, with the magic in our hearts and the spirit in our souls. It is a wonderful time to be alive and an even better time to be a Carl Pooling listener. If this is your first episode, welcome. It's going to be a little bit different and we're happy to have you. This is a show that will definitely get you fired. We talk about everything you're not allowed to talk about at Christmas dinner, that being politics, religion, philosophy, etc. ad nauseum. And we've got a great episode for you today. You might have heard the reason why giggling a couple times already, but... First, I must introduce the silent one, the the giggleless one, Nicholas Beatty. Thank you for joining us on the show today. Glad to be here. I'm glad to giggle. Excellent and longtime friend of the show. It is indeed our dear friend Ben Pock. Ben Pock, welcome to the show. What is going on, guys? It's great to see you. We have the whole gang here because this year carpooling is going to give you the present, um, provided that. You immediately go to your podcatching app of choice and input a five-star review for Carl Pooling. If you don't do that, I know that you haven't. And if you listen to the show for free, you rapscallion, freeloader, Neanderthal, ne'er-do-well, I will find you and I will give you a lump of coal. But the lump of coal will be traveling at Mach 2 and I will gift it directly to your temple. So, leave that <laughs> review for us, and uh, we'll get started. Hunter, before we begin the show, yeah, I have a dilemma. Okay. I saw a film trailer, and I feel I... as if I'm being punked. Uh, okay. There's a film coming out called The American Society of Magical Negroes. <laughs> um... Which is just I feel like I feel like I'm being punked right now by you. <laughs> I know, right? Like, what? What the world? Why would you? Why would you name a film this? Um, I know very this is little the about it. Title of the film. This is the actual title of the film: The American wow. Society for Magical Negroes. And wow. here, uh, this well, this is going to get more complicated because I might have already uh, punched my own card here in a certain sense. But I feel like. I go to order a ticket to that show. Yeah, I walk up to the box office. I go, one for the American Society for Magical Negroes, please. And I instantly get capped by the woke police. I, I well, get here's the other thing. what I'm like, calling an inverted George Floyd. <laughs> listen, one of the this is a bit of a trap. It's where it's where George Floyd chokes yeah. my foot <laughs> with his. I mag. get it. I get it. I know what you're doing, and I'm upset. Okay? But I also feel like this is a trap, because whenever there's a title to a film that's, like, too long to just say, we always shorten it. 
So if someone was saying, hey, what film are you going to go see? Yeah. There's only one word in this title that actually delineates it. Society. No. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, I'm, I'm going to ask the panel here. Does anybody actually know what this film is about? I unfortunately do. You do? Yeah, I've seen the trailer. So here's here's what goes on in the film. So the whole premise is that white people have been on the verge of committing mass genocide against literally every black person in America. So there is a magical society of black people who have come uh, together. Excuse me. And if we're going to be talking about the film, <laughs> Chris, Christopher, <laughs> you are not going accurate. When you say, listen, listen, it's their choice, not mine. Or is this, I, like, is this like when, what was that? Nick, I bet you'll know this. What what was the the rapper Kendrick who had, Lamar? It was Kendrick yeah. who brought that person up on stage to sing a song. Mad and City, then, yeah, and then like canceled them. <laughs> what? Yeah, to sing Mad City, he had a, a white girl got up there at like Hangout Fest or Lollapalooza, and boy, did she sing it! She sang it all the way through, and then he's like, "What the hell?" And she's like, "It's the song. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't write it. You wrote it, Kendrick. I, I." Don't know if this is a Kendrick Lamar situation or not, but I'm I'm a little bit worried. But um, and that's what I wanted to talk about. Really, was like, am I allowed to say this? However, I have said Negroes now, thirty eight <laughs> times, and I'm gonna post this to the internet. Um, luckily, the internet's the one place I know that no one will see it when I run for president. <laughs> but <laughs> I kind of feel like with the right accent, it can come off like academic. The yeah. word, yeah. But not with our accent. Not with him. <laughs> I, I was so afraid that we were about to launch into a three-minute bit of y'all just saying the word in various accents. Negro? Oh, no. Oh, no. Here we go. I think the worst <laughs> would probably be Scottish. <laughs> I think it would, you, uh, Scottish oh, is no. so uninterpretable that I think it would start to get pretty hard to That was a real self-fulfilling prophecy. Other words. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, I... I so there, there's times when it's okay to say that word, like I don't, I don't like baseball, but if I engage with baseball, I watch and and engage with stories and books, etc. From the Negro leagues, mm-hmm. which I think that's your that you're allowed to say, yeah, um, like because that's what it was called, and some of the most legendary players of all time, like Satchel Paige. Or Jackie mm-hmm. Robinson, literally the in in a lot of ways the best that the sport ever had in my opinion. But then when you're doing it to talk about hood Harry Potter, it feels a little bit more like maybe you shouldn't say. Like it just seems too casual to be like, "What house are you in, Crip?" I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what it's gonna be like, but uh, I'm. I'm not going to watch it, but I am looking forward to saying <laughs> Negroes a lot, I guess. Oh, no. It's just, I, I, listen, it's, to, okay, I cut you off, but yeah. but tell us what the film's about so I can decide whether or not I should cancel myself for this bit or not. <laughs> so, so basically, the point of the movie, every black person is in constant fear of being genocided by white people, and that's a, a valid fear according to the movie, and therefore... They have, um, they being all black people in America, have come together and formed the society of magical people to stop white people <laughs> so from. Boring. I'm trying. I'm trying to stay away from it as best I can. To, literally to try and stay away from being murdered by white people. 
that that's the whole plot of the film like it's it's incredibly divisive incredibly just terrible i can't believe they're running with this idea i see i'm glad you explained it to me because that's such a demonstrably divisive and prejudiced idea that yeah. i'm happy to use their words to describe it yeah um, uh, what is what are the odds that there's a lawsuit and J.K. Rowling is like, this is exactly the kind of title I would come up with. <laughs> <laughs> like, what's the one guy in Harry Potter, like, his his name last name is, like, Boltshackle or something. Really? Yeah, though, like, one African-American, or, you know, black guy in England or wherever Hogwarts is. Magical Negro. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, his oh. last name is, like, something, like, wild like that. Yeah, when I saw that Sirius Black was a white dude, I was like, <laughs> well, you are not a serious author. At this point, um, Hunter, what's the, like, you'll know this. What's the female author? Oh, I'm sorry. It's it's YA author, um, young adult. Uh, yeah, oh that was just. I was uh, uh, listen, listen. <laughs> this is name one famous author that was a woman. Jane Austen. Okay, you got me. That's yeah, like um, that's the that's the problem. It's like Jane Austen is so good. Hunter, you cured me. I'm not a bigot anymore. You're welcome. It, like seriously, reading Pride and Prejudice, like it's, it's a good it's book. One of, it's it's so well written, and it also shows you like this perspective into the way the female brain treats relationships. I mean, it's absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. And that being said, if you had to, it was if it was like Tolkien. Dostoevsky, Jane Austen, keep two. Yeah. She's gone. That That's fair. Yeah. yeah but then, I mean... But, then, but, but if you're like... I cheated it, with that one, though. Like, yeah, because you picked Dostoevsky, the best author ever, and then you picked Tolkien, who knew 35 languages. So it's like, it's unfair as unfair gets. Yeah. You well, know? that's... Welcome, Have we slipped into the Hunters pulling. of Virgin segment? <laughs> you know yes. what? I think... <laughs> hate how you phrase that. Uh, I think that's exactly where we should go now. We are going to leave the land of, of magical yeah. Negroes and, and travel forth to the land of only white people, as far as, <laughs> as far as I can tell. Yes, indeed. What's that sound in the distance? It's the horns of Gondor ringing. They call for aid, and the aid mm. they need is the sucker that only Hunter's virginity can provide. Hunter, please bestow upon us a fun Lord of the Rings fact. Uh, this is actually one that you can see in the films, but if you're an idiot, you won't be able to notice. Uh, the more of Gandalf's power he uses, the more of his memory he loses. Yeah. Did you mean to make that rhyme? No. Oh, cool. Bars. I did. <laughs> I actually, I actually knew that because you told me uh, that, Hunter, and yeah. I really love that element, like that element of his character. And when you know that going into the films, especially the extended editions, it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Um, yes. Yeah, yes. I, I, I dig it. Okay. Gandalf, you're late. Well, I didn't know where I was going. <laughs> I, I did a lot. I of used a really big fireball. <laughs> and uh, and the, Gandalf, you used a fireball to light your pipe. Uh, yeah. Listen, there's a there's an intersection here. Um, I'm going on Joe Rogan to discuss how my memory's just fine. I do take a. a Unbelievable uh. amount of alpha brain. <laughs> there you go. There you um, go. All right, cool. Well, Hunter, thank you. You, uh, you, Gondor called, and the Rohan of your Ugh. sexlessness provided succor. Um, let us then move on quickly to our uh, favorite segment, second favorite segment, 
All right, third favorite segment, funny horse names. <laughs> Today I have a funny horse name for you that I don't understand, but I really do enjoy it. This is a horse that placed 10th in 2012 at the Kentucky Derby, the Grand Old Race. I don't know if they call it that. Um, and now that I said it, that sounds like the most racist thing I've said yet on this show. But it is the horse Daddy Knows Best. But here's the kicker. Oh, no. Here's the kicker. <laughs> Nose is spelled N O S E. He's got a blow problem. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I have literally no idea what that means. So I leave it here like a fart in a diving helmet for you to deal with in your life. Daddy knows best. The tenth place horse. Um, and wow. I guess that brings us to our final pre-show segment, Hunter. Mm. Yeah. The roadkill, if you will. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of shocking. Um, there's a peer-reviewed study that finds that sex could be a better predictor of sports performance than gender identity. Huh? <laughs> you mean by sex? You mean you mean biological sex? Yeah. Okay. Oh, oh. Doctor Doctor John. Coming right after the Hunters of Virgin. I know because you're just like, oh, let's see how he does in there. Yeah. I think he'd be an accomplished pole vault. <laughs> Not quite. Dr. John Armstrong of Keynes many, College. Many don't know this, but the penis is more aerodynamic than the alternative. That's correct. Yeah, and now it's not what you would think because it's a lie. But, you know, some people. So, where did this study come from? Do you have the details for us? Yeah, London. This guy in London was like, Hi. When you mean peer review, do you mean he phoned down to the pub? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was like, is Gary in? Reviewed by a couple of geezers. <laughs> Gary, do you remember when we were in high school together playing rugby, Gary? What is that voice? That's, that's nothing. That's my incredibly bad British accent for fun. It. Who's got the best? Yeah. I bet Ben has a pretty killer British accent, which he's going to do for us now. Hello. Oh, that was, man, that was like Orlando Bloom sexy. Yeah, yeah, yeah hate, it has to be more ben. derogatory than that. Like, yeah. oh, I could go for some beans on toast. <laughs> it's part of the soggy bread. Mm-hmm. A dentist, what's that, mate? <laughs> um, <laughs> all right, well, <laughs> we've completely clipped our audio now. Uh, yeah. uh, Hunter, I, I don't know where else to go with that other than uh, I could have saved you a bunch of research dollars with that one. Well, you could have, but then would you have known it? I would have. I would have. And but I would, would have just played have? I would have played the video of uh Leah Thor Thomas beating Riley Gaines with a baseball bat <laughs> in one of one of the slowest male times ever recorded in a competitive pool. That's what I would have showed you. Mm. Uh, I think mm. that's all it takes. Ladies okay, well I still don't I still don't buy it. All right. Well, you don't have to, uh, because okay. that's the end of the roadkill segment. So thank you for oh. joining us, uh, okay. guys. We've got a big show for you, and uh, we're going to eat dessert first. This episode, we have compiled a list of Christmas traditions, and we've arranged them into a tier list. Please, algorithm, am I doing it right? Please help me, algorithm. Help us get listeners, algorithm. So we're oh, doing wait. a tier list. Do a face like you're surprised, and then, like, with your mouth open, 
and then do it. Yeah, that's perfect. Yep. And now put that to the right of yep. the. Uh, yeah. I can't. Art. I Got can't it. do that because I look like Macaulay Culkin did all the drugs but stayed fat. Oh wow! <laughs> but that, oh, yeah. that's rough. Poor but guy. there's there's actual data that soy facing in the thumbnail like really drives engagement for some reason. I don't know why it's repulsive. Hold on. Soy facing? That's a real term. Define Nick. Soy facing like when you you know the the gif of uh, Wolf of Wall Street when he points at the screen he's like oh Funko Pop that's Captain America <laughs> I know that that's a character I like that's soy facing that was an incredible it. explanation I don't get it but we I might love need watching to make you do it more yeah. words that we don't know to get yeah. Nick to define them. <laughs> yeah. all right so we have we have made a tier list this will be the first. Carl pooling tier list, potentially the last Carl pooling tier list. We'll see how it goes. But we have arranged. Which, go ahead, Hunter. On. Which generation buys Funko Pop? I'm terrified to I believe think it's millennials. Elder millennials or yeah. But I mean, I have one. We're elder, elder millennials sound like the worst character in D and D ever. <laughs> yeah, I cast <laughs> complain on X. <laughs> We're, it's, we're, uh, we're the generation that made that happen, I'm realizing right now. Yeah. yeah, That's dark, dude. This, and I, I feel like, it's, does anyone else feel like Funko Pop and Amiibo are like two sides of the same coin, or am I out of touch? As someone who owns one Funko Pop and like two dozen Amiibo, I'm going to say no. It's way different. It's more refined. It's more intellectual. <laughs> it's more intellectual. <laughs> well, I mean, I know that the Amiibos actually have like some baseline functionality, that mm. the Funko Pops don't have. I don't know. I've never tried to scan the bottom of a Funko Pop. I feel like I'm representing yeah. your 90% of the audience who has literally no idea what either of those are. Yeah, a lot no. of 50-year-old men in the audience. <laughs> Perverts. I, here, here's my theory on it. I think there was like a time as we were becoming adults where nerdy stuff wasn't as much as part of the zeitgeist as it is now mm, you're and right. uh so it'd be like oh there's a naruto figure i have to buy that and we have that impulse even though it's like literally you can go to target and get it yeah yeah that's there's and certainly like something those, there and then the zoomers were like just inculcated and nerd done like that that's culture yeah. now they yeah. didn't stand a chance yeah they, they don't want any product unless they can kill themselves with it or put um, it in a jar, yeah. yeah put it in a jar. <laughs> the Zoomers, man. I, I the kids, the kids are all right though. I think they're coming back around. There's, they there's, don't play role playing games anymore, Chris. What's wrong with them? I, I really do think that there's a lack of creativity. I, I, yeah. And not that we have to get into the cocoa melon controversy because everyone's talking about the cocoa melon yeah. controversy right now. I have but, no idea what that is, and so happy I don't. It's well, okay. So there's a. It's like the most popular kid show. It's a Netflix original series, I believe. They did oh, a spinoff of it. Oh, this is a little kid it. dancing in a dress in front of his two dads. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's whatever. gay, and it yeah. also there's like they did a study on it, and it changes shots, like it changes like every two seconds or something. It's like hyper stimulating, and so it's like bad for kids' brain development. That's actually Not what I was. <laughs> that's what I was going to bring up. Is that they 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 format it almost uh. like. They format TikTok. When you go back to the yeah. shows we were watching when yeah, we were growing up, yeah, yeah. things like Mr. Rogers, Mr. Rogers would sizzle on a single frame like it was like loose, a loose. Japanese art film. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah, it was just yeah. one A lot view. of that, it's really hard to tell like how that came about because if you look back, I, I want to say, I'm quoting numbers off the top of my head here, but in the 1950s, I believe the average shot length was about 10 seconds. And now it's between three and four. 
And that's for any film, any movie, any TV that you're watching. So not only has that time between shots dramatically decreased for children's programming, it's done that in all of our movies. Right. Both because we have a lot more technological advancements to where we can do that sort of stuff, but also because our attention spans are dropping like mm-hmm. a rock because it's not like, hey, let's go see the one film at the cinema. It's like, hey, let's doom scroll on our phones for the next six hours and hope to find another three seconds of dopamine to squeeze into our brains. Yeah, and, and so and so I was thinking I was actually talking about this with some folks last night, but that's TikTok, that's YouTube shorts, that's a lot of what Instagram's becoming, and yeah. it is what our children's shows are becoming. And when you think about how fundamental a shift that is for like the human being, mm-hmm. literally ninety percent of all humans never ever experienced a narrative that changed perspective at all. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like either you're yeah. in a book and you're always there's always this layer of diffraction between the narrative which is your interpretation and cognition of it. But then film came along and there was really slow cuts and you saw different scenes and part of that was was so, acceptable. But but like the fast action scene where it's like click 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 like that never happened that, ever to that, most people. That, that's, that's actually not true. Um this, right. is, this may be surprising, but like Sir Gawain in the Green Knight has an extremely famous uh, scene in it where it is uh, Sir Gawain is unable to go on the hunt with uh, the king whose uh, house he's gone to, and he's at home with his wife, right? And this it, it's really famous because of the imagery that kind of gets associated here, but like as the king is going on the hunt, there's all this like imagery about hunting and like fighting and there's a boar that's getting caught and they, they find the boar and they stab the boar and they like get it and they kill it. And in between, uh, it basically is like panning over here and then panning back to this bedroom scene where the queen is all, is um, basically coming on to Sir Gawain as he's lying in bed. And so there's this, scene is changing into different parts of the hunt into different parts of Sir Gawain with this with the queen and it's yeah. really interesting because it's actually like hard cutting back in between these two different things a- absolutely sense. but but yeah. there's a what I was I think you might have missed it what I was saying is that in liter- in literature there's a layer of abstraction between the medium and you uh, the medium and your brain which is yeah. you reading it yeah. and you interpreting it yeah more interpretation has to occur whereas, whereas in film very little interpretation often has to occur you can be shown not told so I, I do agree that there's pieces that have flip-flopped perspectives usually to great literary effect but the the fast pitch change 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 where it's being force fed to you at a certain rate is new and not experienced and and part of it is because in a in a book you control your own pace you know what i'm saying so there's automatically one layer of abstraction there where you're not being force fed the the details you're interpreting them and digesting them yourself so yeah but what i'm saying as far as neural development is concerned it's one of those things where, and, and now we've gone on a full tangent, but it's a fun one. But it um, it's one of those things, in my opinion, where this has only been around for 70 years at most. And it's gotten progressively faster, 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 faster since that's been around at all. And I, 
I'm not going to say I'm, you know, an amazing neural development scientist. What I will say is it's one of those things that we take for granted now that we really don't know what it does. Like, we really don't know what it does. But you look at the kids, the the studies about kids that are doom scrolling on these apps, like Ben was talking about, and suicidality, and you're like, I'm not convinced this is good for us. I'm not convinced that not being able to be a participant in the conversation kind of like you are with a book while simultaneously not having the attention span to piece together a long string of content has been any good for us at all so i think we all know that instinctively when you finish doom scrolling like everyone's done it everyone sat there with the phone for too long and scrolled for one too many clicks and then at the end of it you always feel like crap Everyone knows that because there's that part of your brain that isn't expending any effort and it's just getting dopamine for nothing that you're you're not learning, you're not growing, you're not achieving anything, and it just feels terrible. Yeah. yeah. You can kind of trick yourself into being like, well, I'm staying up to date with current events. Yeah, and right? to some extent, <laughs> that's true. But if you were to ask me what was I reading on Twitter like three days ago, I couldn't tell you. Yeah, yeah. 90% of the time... Yeah, it's just it's just a waste. I can only look 90, at so many Carl pulling tweets. Percent of the time, <laughs> I'm taking a dump, and I would just be taking a dump with your own thoughts. Horrifying. Wait, <laughs> hold on. <laughs> you know what? Actually, no. You tried to zig. Here I zag. We present yeah. to you for the algorithm. The Carl Pulling first annual, hopefully not annual, tier list of Christmas traditions. So here's the setup. As a group, we are going to take 22 traditions uh, from our own lives and things that are popular around Christmas and rate them on a scale. And we have a scale that goes S at the top, A, B, C, D, F, and then the bottom tier, Hellfire, where, uh, which basically means if we as a panel were the, the reigning deity of this universe, we would immediately <laughs> damn you for engaging with these traditions. So that kind of yeah. gives you the spread of it and we're going to jump into it and then afterwards we're not the reigning deity at the moment here's the thing we're in podcast land we don't know for sure we aren't saying we are yeah like think about how much of joseph smith's life he spent (laughs) it's true not even knowing that he was the avatar of moroni amen i think they call this god in a jar theory (laughs) man nick it turns out he's the most intellectual one on the show we're about to have a really cool Hasanabi Twitch stream. Um, I hate Hassan Piker. Is that his full name? Um, as far as bread tube goes, he is my literal least favorite. He is such, such. You heard it here, an folks. Chris loves Vouch. <laughs> okay, hold on. <laughs> I didn't know Hassan and Vouch were two different people. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I would, there would be nothing better. I would love to, to debate Vouch or Hassan. Um, uh, Vouch is really has only one move, which is to either have a slightly higher Q- IQ than his guest or gish gallop until the end of time. And Hassan truly, I think, has to hire someone to tie his shoes. So I would, I would either one, if you're listening, Hassan or Vouch or um, the the any of the, the other drool one. collectors <laughs> that follow you around. Le- it's an open invitation. I'd love to talk to you. So, let's dive into it here. Uh, first, we're going to start off kind of simple. Elf on the Shelf. Hellfire. 
I, so, I feel like I'm just going to be pushing for help there. I, my a family lot. didn't do Elf on a Shelf. I, if you were to ask me, I would have told you, I would have guessed it probably started in the last 10 years, but I don't think that's the case. It's creepy, though. It is creepy, and I like creepy Christmas a lot of the time. I think Londoners do it right. Oh, um, we didn't put ghost stories in here. We're the worst. Oh, ghost stories is auto S tier. Um, okay, for yeah. me. Well, yeah, okay, me but that we'll just we'll just fake include that one. Okay, so let me tell you. Here's my thoughts on Elf on the Shelf. If you are just doing mischievous things and you all are playing this game where you get to blame it on an inanimate elf, for me that's like A tier. Like that's pretty fun, but that's not what happens. What happens is you do something kind of lame and then post it to Instagram. And for me, that's F tier. Well, there's like, yeah, no one really hits that sweet spot. It's either like, uh uh-oh, he's getting in the cookie jar, or the kids wake up and they come downstairs and there's like a pentagram carved in the floor and the elf, (laughs) and there's like ketchup sprayed and the elf is sitting there. It's like, you got to find a happy medium and I don't see that too often. That's So, okay, Uh, Ben, thoughts on Elf on the Shelf? I feel like it's just a way to guilt trip your kids. I feel like 90% of people just use it as like, hey, you better not do anything because Santa's watching and the little kid's like, Santa's not watching. And they're like, oh, but he is. So I'm feeling F, maybe D. Okay. It depends on who's doing it. Yeah, I I feel like it has a higher ceiling than it does right now. Um, So I'm leaning towards D. I... I think we don't give guilt tripping your children enough credit. <laughs> I think we should say, hey, gaslighting, guilt tripping, like all of these are fair game if you love your kids. So therefore, I would elevate to C tier. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to split the diffy. We're going to go D tier. Okay. <laughs> um, uh, eggnog. Hellfire. Hellfire. Hellfire? Well, okay. there's, an important, there's, there's an important qualifier here. Okay. Bourbon? Is it alcoholic eggnog? Hmm. If it's alcoholic eggnog, it's D. If it's non-alcoholic <laughs> eggnog, it's hellfire. I love how the guy who doesn't drink is saying that. I yeah, I, it's like that lame. Like it's <laughs> you're D, you're drinking this horrible beverage and you're not even getting drunk from it. I mean, what's wrong with you? Okay, so here's the thing that is useful about eggnog in that regard, especially alcoholic eggnog. Um, mm. It's like if somebody is enjoying a glass of single malt whiskey you're like that guy might just enjoy the taste of whiskey if yeah. somebody's drinking hand sanitizer you're like oh no when did uncle lou break out of the asylum and so you know he's an alcoholic eggnog yeah. is like the super saiyan 6 version of that where you're like you're you're drinking a, bev- a creamy beverage with the word egg in it and you're like you have to be a horrible drunkard at this point. Yeah. yeah, it's like drinking hand sanitizer, but you want to get diabetes as well. So it's it's like you can only take so many smoke breaks at the family Christmas gathering, <laughs> and eventually you have to sit there and bear it, and so you get the eggnog. Um. So I think I think we're we should go F tier just because it's useful in that it. Uh, allows you to identify the true alcoholics in your family mm, but hellfire if you engage in it and so it's kind of like that so f yeah I agree. Okay. i'm happy with it all right decorating the tree 
Oh, a. strong A, yeah. S tier. It's even this shaped like an S tier. This is my favorite part. No. Dude, we have so many tacky ornaments. My, I've moved 7,000 times in my life, and every time we've moved, we've gotten new ornaments. And it's this like beautiful family tradition where we all come around. So I get that it's not S tier for most people, for my family. It's S tier, baby. Okay, Here, well, that's a beautiful story. Thank you. <laughs> um, but also... That that's like uh, you do it better than most people. Like we taking do. We an are aggregate. superior, yeah. Okay, and that's well. not factoring in going into the attic, getting if you have a fake tree, getting the tree, getting the boxes of ornaments, unwrapping the ornaments. It's getting it's, yelled I mean, at by if, your dad. <laughs> yeah, getting yelled at by your dad. I mean, you throw some Christmas music on, you make an evening of it, but it's also sort of a hassle, right? And, t- and especially yeah. tearing it down. Let's be real. And but then. It, Go ahead. Everyone, everyone gets on your case for both of those. Oh, you don't have your tree up yet? Oh, we put our tree up after Thanksgiving. So right, Friday, right after we just we just did it. You Hunter, know. And then, oh, you haven't I taken want it you down. To know, just because I want everyone listening to this podcast to yeah. hate me passionately. So my wife's birthday is in mm-hmm. the early November time frame, and mm-hmm. for her birthday. At the beginning, it is in the first week of November. Oh, no. She uh-huh. likes I, I to can't. celebrate by getting a tree <laughs> and setting it up in our house. So we have had the Christmas joy down in our hearts for two full months. That's not what Jesus came here for. It isn't. That's, uh... Y'all were celebrating Thanksgiving, and we were light years ahead. That's that's, that's wild. That She's on target time. Incredible. They get the Christmas stuff out at... At November, yep. Yeah, that's right, yeah. that's right. Amen. It's weird that you're a capitalist pig. Yeah, um, so that got more contentious than I expected. Yeah, A, Ben's wrong. <laughs> I, I, yeah, okay, so I think A tier because it's not in the upper echelon for me, yeah. but also is it Christmas without it? Not really, you know. Mm, it's kind of necessary. Fair. I consent yeah. to you guys have having worse traditions than me. We oh, all okay. have the tradition. <laughs> yeah, you're just worse. Just at not it. to the same <laughs> degree. <laughs> to treat. All right, it's A tier. We're moving on. Gingerbread houses. I gotta say F. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I love a man with hard feelings about gingerbread houses. Here's, can I make my case? Yeah, please. Gingerbread houses, the kits. They say they come with all of the stuff. It's like the worst fondant, worst icing. It barely sticks together. You finally get it put together. You don't get to eat it. It's, I mean, it's, oh, it's, it's like bordering on fun, but it's like kind of in the same way of like, I'm posting something to social media to make it seem like I had fun. <laughs> you know, it's like, I know it's supposed to be fun, so I want to do it, but it's not actually fun in practice. Kind of like carving a pumpkin. Like it sounds awesome. And then you get around to actually doing it. You're like... This I am very messy. Yeah. Um I, um I I don't need any more any more deliberation on that. I'm happy to put it to F. Yep. Uh, any disagreement in the court? It's F tier. All right, and that brings us to uh, what I what I'm going to Auto vote Hellfire. is our first S tier. <laughs> what? No. Krampus knocked. <laughs> Nine, like, literally, literally hellfire. Like, so the essence of it. Can you imagine if you lived in a town in Bavaria? You're on a little alpine oh, hillside, and a bunch of teenagers dressed up as demons and just terrorize children for Christmas. Oh, that's what that yeah. is. I thought yeah. you were talking about the thing where they like burned the goat made out of hay. 
No, uh, I don't know what that is, but it's something. It's something else. Krampus knock. That's typically, just your parents. All, I think all of the juveniles go around, and it's kind of like a Halloween-ish thing. They like knock on doors, scare kids, and they're all dressed up like Krampus. I may have been thinking of that ritual that the elites do. <laughs> oh, <laughs> whoops! The Epstein. Whoops. I wasn't supposed. Ah. To, yeah, the document's not out yet. I wasn't supposed to share that. Uh, Epstein knocked. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I, I don't know if this is real or not, but I was listening to a guy read a Reddit post from an anonymous <laughs> source, so it's probably not true, that said he worked wow. on Epstein Island, and he made up this story or told the truth about how they would they would do this ritual and someone would put on a pig mask and then they were like God of the island, they could do whatever they want, and if they found you, they could you were done. And I was like, this sounds... This hide and seek? Yeah, it was. Uh, I don't know. It was. It freaked you me. You know, out. there's several YouTubers who have found a way onto Epstein Island and privately recorded it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely fascinating. Like sprinting, getting chased by security, and diving off the island and swimming to boats. We've we've got to see crazy. that. Crazy. Well, and he had all of his details right, like about the bathhouse stuff that got confirmed afterwards, you know, and that kind of thing. So I don't know, but uh, it was weird. But Krampusnacht, uh, Auto Esther gotta say s tier just from the sound of it i haven't heard of it yeah, until first time. this moment all right excellent uh advent calendars mm, okay here's here's the problem we just got to one that can be hellfire tier or can be a tier because some of the advent calendars are filled with the most fun great things that just really are a blast they're very expensive usually if you want to get a good one but some of them are so comically bad you like open it up it's like a hand someone drew it with crayon and you open up a little box and it's like a jelly belly and you're like why yeah i think i don't like them because i struggle to pronounce the word tchotchkes (laughs) even though i like them in theory just like a little figurine of a Pokemon wearing a Santa hat or something. Um, but no, yeah, it depends on what's in them. Uh, uh, it's so milk toast. I think I can put it C tier. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, okay, here's one. Complaining about cups at Starbucks. <laughs> I think at this point it's an American tradition. That's true. S tier? It's a B. I think it's like... Yeah, I think because it's... you get to see the dumbest opinions from both sides. <laughs> you really do. Um, you know what? I'm going to put this one at A tier, I think, uh, just splitting the difference here. And really, this one we maybe should have done last because I think this is one of the things where people are actually circling the drain on an issue that matters, yeah. which is tradition, but they do not understand why. It's one of those yeah. things kind of like we were talking about with doom scrolling. Like, you know, you have this embodied reaction that you know something is good or bad, but we're not thoughtful enough often in the public discourse to articulate it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I and there's think, so I think many things deserves. like that. Like that's like what cultural zeitgeists are. It's like these things that we all know you see it and you nod. It's like why everyone likes memes is you see a meme and you just instantly get it. But there's like something underlying it. Like that's what the word meme is. Like you go to, I, we're in the South, right? So there's this weird lingering culture of happy holidays versus Merry Christmas. And you go to a store and I can't tell you how many times I've heard like a nice, well-meaning store worker be like, happy holidays. And then like an older person looks at them and is like, Merry Christmas. And it feels like that they just feel like they just won this tiny little battle. But if you actually sat down and asked them like, well, what is the freaking point? Like, what are you trying to accomplish? Ooh, like, language. what do you think you... Sorry, guy who just said not said. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we almost had him. 
Um, but, but yeah, you're exactly right, Chris. It's like everyone kind of feels like there's something going on, but not many people are articulating it very yeah. well. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, okay, so we'll, we'll leave that at A tier for now. I'm actually going to put it above decorating the tree. Uh, Hallmark movies, this should take no time. Hellfire. Yeah. Guys, I mean, ironically, kind of fun, but you, I mean, they all have the same template. Hey, guys, look, I love my wife. And I love my relationship with her, so I'm going to need to make this F tier, or I'm sleeping on a couch. Uh, Everyone in favor of Hellfire to make Ben's life worse? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, let's go Hellfire, just for Hellfire, there we go. Um, Cookies for Santa. I like it. I like the, like, Shinto-esque-ness of leaving uh, treats for a deity. (laughs) <laughs> it's like a sentence only you would say and I loved it I, Nick, Nick made I was going to put this at B tier and Nick just made me want to put it S tier I will say as um someone who's about to be a new father yep. uh, this will be a, a tradition I ensure that my my worker be that is not enough little slave <laughs> yeah Santa <laughs> Santa actually likes double stuff for you <laughs> Yeah, he needs a lot of calories for fitting down all those. Ch- Listen, it doesn't have to make sense. He's magical, okay? It's uh, he's in the American Society for Magical Crackers. <laughs> so you made a major mistake by trying to like add more detail with with your kids. You can be well. The cookies help him go down the chimney. What? Because magic, you know. What? But like the minute you bring calories into it, then you have to explain what a calorie is. Oh, yeah, you don't want to tell your thermodynamics kids really just harshes the mellow of Christmas. <laughs> All right, honey, you yeah. bumped me back out. It's going to be tier. Um, okay, <laughs> here's one <laughs> sitting on drunk Santa's lap at the mall. <laughs> I'll say this the kids enjoy it, <laughs> Nick, Nick, the kids enjoy it, listen, but not as much. <laughs> Nick's about to engage in what's called the map defense. <laughs> Listen, I, let me make my case. No, I'm not just kidding. But not, the kids enjoy it. Well, actually, that's not always true. I think I cried several times. I was scared of him. But not as much as the ex-felon who had his name legally changed so he could have this job and have kids sit on his lap. Sorry. I, do you know any, like, like, either one of us, when we're 30 years older, could do the job. Right. With our our build and our facial hair we could do the job and i'm just i'm just i know i'll probably be like what 80 pounds heavier than so we could do it but i that's weird i wouldn't want to do it if anybody if any adult you were like hey what do you do and you're like oh i'm a mall santa <laughs> red flag your first you would go this is how every human being in america would respond ah <laughs> like I, I that might be fine, a, but it's probably not. <laughs> I honestly think this is like something that 20, 30, 40 years ago is totally fine and completely understandable. And culture totally gets what's going on here and nobody has any problems with it. And then in today's mindset, it's it's just impossible. I totally agree with this. I think that's I, the right take. I, I, think, I think this is something we've just kind of like screwed up on well here's the thing they're not paying them 40 dollars an hour to sit there so you gotta really want to do it (laughs) well yeah but if you're like a retired old like there's people that like professionally dye mall santa's hair and like it's a specific mixture and dye and all this stuff like there's yeah there's some art that goes into it 
An off-center? Are you <laughs> pretty knowledgeable? I'm not. I knew somebody. I think it's uh, one of the guys I work with actually knew someone who used to do it. So like, it's just randomly come up in my it's life. Not helping. It's like, yeah. So Here, no, but, no, no, but not it, me, but like an acquaintance of a work companion. <laughs> no, trust no, me, it, I would never I do it. Say their name, but I just didn't want to. On the here's, air, here's but, a question: yeah, yeah. How often do you see someone who looks like a mall Santa off season? You don't, like because they're on an island. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're like, is that a mall Santa? I can't tell. He's got to take off the big <laughs> Yes. Um, so dumb. But like a, a Santa's white beard is not like a natural color white. People's hair typically don't hit that. You man, know, I wish the audience out. could see me. <laughs> <laughs> ben, Ben. Polar bear. Uh, listen. No. The pigment different. If Ben learned a magic spell... <laughs> It, he would you know still be short an be amazing <laughs> amount of melanin um, to be in any kind of society of Negroes. Um, what, what do you, Hunter, you had the most base take on this. Where are we putting it? I, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of like the problem. Like, even though I think it's a nice tradition, I think it's also messed up by where we're at in today's culture. You can go with F. Uh, below eggnog? Uh, y- uh, sure, yeah, below eggnog. Okay, all right, but above gingerbread houses. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, <laughs> here's a fun one. Uh, the blonde hair, blue-eyed nativity scene. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> one of my favorites. <laughs> it it just cracks me up, man. Like, whenever a, a race takes Jesus and the nativity and tries to make it their own it's just hilariously comical to me because i I get identifying with it right like like it's your faith and you imagine jesus kind of looking like you because that's how it's personal i get it but there's just something hilarious about going that far with it you know of yes jesus was blonde haired and blue eyed and that is very i mean that is very good you almost went krampus knocked there (laughs) Um, yeah, it's funny. It's funny. B tier. <laughs> I think I think it's a solid yeah. B. Yeah, probably above cookies, though. All right, I'll put it above cookies. Uh, yep. Gifts, S tier. We don't even have to talk about yeah, that. Listen, yeah. we give gifts because Jesus gave us the gift of his tiny baby son. Uh, no, wait, wait a minute. God <laughs> gave us the <laughs> nope. gift of his tiny baby son. I mean, if son. you ask uh, who wrote Da Vinci Code, if you ask him, maybe. <laughs> Dan Brown, kind of Brown. Mormon doctrine yeah. now. Um, here's one that I think we'll all remember from Christmas Eve, uh, growing up in a Southern Baptist home, as as we all did. Um, you sit down, you're ready to go to sleep, so that presents might come after you sugar plum drift into into the mystical dream world, and your dad cracks open the Bible and reads the entire book of Luke. <laughs> In the original Greek. In the original Greek. Koine Greek. <laughs> no, we gotta get the, the good stuff, the NIV. The NIV. Or if you're if you're a real Christian, the KJV. Uh, you know what? The amplified drives me nuts. It's like I don't need the Bible to scream at me. It's fine. <laughs> I <laughs> think I'm the only the non Calvinist that uses ESV. <laughs> <laughs> But maybe oh, I was just predestined to. Nick's I don't going know. To hell. <laughs> <laughs> um, have you guys read the message? Yeah, it's absolutely yeah. incredible. It's like you'll read a verse that's like, 
And Jesus came to save the world. And it's like, so okay. your boy Jay walked up in here. <laughs> well, I love it's that it's, comedy. the whole point of it is like, well, let's put it in today's language. And half of it's like that. And then half of it is, is it Eugene Peterson? Is that his name? The guy who wrote yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. Peterson does this thing where he'll like, instead of saying like, uh, you know, I don't know. He'll hyphenate words to like make it like the God's son instead of the son of god oh, I'm like really? that's just not putting it into modern language that's you're making me think harder about this no make nick think hard <laughs> no make no make think hard about god son uh, listen oh man often when you're a kid i'm gonna get i'm gonna get a little poignant here if you'll excuse oh, me oh you have a dad you're becoming uh-huh. a dad here and now comes. you just want to like soft. get sentimental yeah <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it's chemicals, Hunter. I can't help my hormones. That's fair. I've That's been fair, taking dude. so many of Haley's prenatals. I'm, <laughs> I, I, yeah. My mood swings have been insane. Well, how are you supposed to distinguish between those and the Flintstone gummies you take? Exactly. They're vitamins? both chewable. and Yes, and yeah. they both are shaped like Flintstone characters. <laughs> Which I thought was a weird... I, it's weird to be like, I have to eat tiny bam bam to help my yeah. baby it's like that i don't know i will say you're glowing <laughs> thank you <laughs> well bam I, bam is actually the only one you can take for uh, testosterone health thank that, you, thank that's you. right and i still look more pregnant than she does um that's not true so so true facts my wife is very small and our baby is in the 97th percentile for femur length thing is uh, god rest her soul uh, but it's only like 80 some for weight so, I'm li- I'm giving birth to a Wendigo, <laughs> like a tree spirit. So Haley is is which I don't know if I've said her name before on the show, but God bless, uh, she'll survive the attacks. But she is she is completely full. It's like it's like you know when you you touch a balloon at a kid's party and you're like, oh, <laughs> that one's gonna pop like as soon as as soon as the light gets hot enough. That's her right now. There's no way we're making it to term. Um, reading the entire book of Luke as a kid, it drives you crazy because you're all about the gifts. But like, what's better than the entire book of Luke? Yeah, like, it especially in the original Koine Greek, yeah. read by a Messianic Jew standing on the Temple Mount. Like, that's how we always did it. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, that sounds actually incredibly sociopolitically fraught and dangerous. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, well, they usually died, but yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I'm going to put it... I'm gonna, I, I have to put this S tier. Yeah, or God will be mad. Yeah. yeah, it was a trick question. Uh, but I am putting time. it below Krampus knock because you got to get the devil is due. That, that is not okay. Okay, all right. I'm, I'm super excited for this one. So some of these we just went with like stuff that everybody knows, but some of them were specific. And Nick just posted the word snack around. So please, yeah. Nick, tell us what <clears throat> snack around is. Yeah, so growing up, I don't know how old I was, um, and I actually don't know if this is something I coined or my brother, but one of us, when we were little, uh, asked our mom what we were eating on Christmas Eve, and she's like, oh, well, what she was trying to say is we're just having, like, hors d'oeuvres, we're just having little uh, little plates of stuff, and you can make your own plate. She said, we're just going to snack around, and either me or my brother said, oh, so this is called a snack around. And you know you get your oh, that's you, adorable. you get your little 
uh, weenie dogs, you get your little dips, you get, you know, that kind of thing. Dude, that, that's S tier for me. So I may I be uh, dyslexic or, or R-worded, but that's how oh, I we, heard it we, and we understood it. Oh, okay, perfect. Retarded. Um, <laughs> Man, that feels good to get one out. <laughs> Can I have another? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, go ahead. Hold yes. on. Sounds like a line, <clears throat> Let me clear my throat. <clears throat> Retarded. <laughs> Wow, five people just got fired. Good work, Nick. Yeah, that's that's very good. Um, Only two of them were you, so that's okay. I'm going to put snack around below gifts, but I got to put that S tier. That's precious. Hands down. Um, Okay. Uh, Watching Muppets Christmas Carol. Very popular opinion. Muppets Christmas Carol is the best Christmas Carol. Nope. Mm. I know Ben disagrees. (laughs) All right, let's have a fight. Have you seen Scrooge? Um, Hunter, who's the... Remind me... uh, Ben, who's the actor who plays Albert Scrooge? Finney? Glad you asked. Albert Finney. Um, great. So, who knows Albert Finney? And Hunter, who's the avuncular gentleman who plays Scrooge in the Muppets Christmas Carol? Uh, wow, Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Mm. Michael freaking Caine, bro. Oh wow. Oh, so you Sir just Michael fast Caine. forwarded seventy years? So you think that techn- technological advancements matter in this? You think that we didn't have time to train up actors in the twenty-first century? Uh, okay. No, this movie was filmed back in the thirties. And Michael Caine was there. Have you seen him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they didn't have fair. good actors back to be then. Fair, Christopher, Mar- Michael Caine, Albert was there. Finney invented acting. <laughs> Michael Caine is Batman's adopted dad, basically. I don't know exactly how the relationship works. It's very Albert familial, Finney but would he still have adopted Batman. Master Tiny Tim. I can't, I can't do the voice. I really can't. Do you know why we fall, Master Tiny Tim? <laughs> so we can learn to pick ourselves up. I'm glad that I lost my parents. I want them to see me at church without any parents, because... It might remind them of how blessed they are and how little crime they fight on a day-to-day basis. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking at the trailer right now. Oh, gosh. Thoughts? This is terrible. Ooh. Yeah, I, I like how Ben's like, it came out during the Great Depression. That's one of its main <laughs> selling points. Really well, big budget. 1970, which is not a great time for art. Okay, look, guys, I made that up. Uh, while we're on the subject, did you know that there is a Muppet Christmas crossover that you're probably not aware of? Oh, wait, oh, 1970s. So I am absolutely <laughs> horrified. Growing up, there was a Christmas movie that I remember watching on TV. Like, I don't think we owned it. And I just, it randomly came to me the other day and I found it on YouTube. Someone had recorded it off of their VHS and I watched all one hour of it and it is called Elmo Saves Christmas. And in Elmo Saves Christmas... Kermit the Frog. Kermit the Frog makes an appearance. And you mean actual Kermit, not Jordan B. Peterson. Yes. He <laughs> he wasn't talking about cleaning your room or yeah. any such things. He he was there giving the news, and it's actually really funny. And he had the funniest part in the movie, easily. Because it, it, it I, isn't at all obvious that the spirits <laughs> can't do it all in one night. I, I mean, think of the significance of it, perhaps, uh, when the bell tolls one. But how many times might the bell toll one? And it's not entirely clear to me exactly just what a bell is. Exactly. It depends on what you mean by bell. <laughs> and it depends on what you mean by one. <laughs> Such fun living in CCP Sesame Street. 
if you know what that's in reference to, I'm so sorry that you had to see that. Oh, man. Oh, man. Okay, if they remade, if they remade Muppets Christmas Carol with with Jordan Peterson as Marley, <laughs> that would be it would hilarious. be amazing. This is the chain I forged in life. <laughs> and you're forging a chain yourself every time that you get up and you do things that don't make you integrated and don't make you strong. Um, I'm crying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, that, that was such a good what about diazepines could do anything. <laughs> what about the puppets? Who will think of the puppets? I love Jordan Peterson so yeah. much. Oh, um, all right, so uh, S tier. <laughs> yeah, I, I I do like that movie. Yeah, Clearly we'll S tier. Okay. Um, I had to double check this. Jim Henson did make the Sesame Street. Yeah. Puppets as well. Yeah. So the yeah, crossover there makes a lot of sense. I, I asked that. Uh, 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 to my girlfriend as we're watching it and like is this a jim henson thing she's like yeah you don't know that and i'm like mm, i do now <laughs> yeah thanks girlfriend <laughs> all right uh let's uh we got a couple more to uh get through here <laughs> before we hit an hour into the show and then oh, we actually no. start the discussion <laughs> so uh looking at christmas lights i uh, i'm here uh oh my oh, god no you're diametrically opposed B. my friend you're a humbug mm-hmm. is what you are that's a seer b it's, it's oh my fine. god! Yeah. What is wrong with it? No, I'm thinking S or A. All right, yeah, you know what? The, We're just gonna make this easy. We're gonna put it at the top of B tier. Um, everyone gets really grumpy. They're like, "Hey, you want to go look at lights?" And it's like, "Meh, kind of tired." And I have like 40 pounds of eggnog in my tummy, not really feeling it. And then they're like, "But we have to because it's Christmas." Like, yeah, geez, there, there's a lot of pressure important. to get in the car. Okay, can we downgrade yeah, it to it C? Because I think Hunter made a pretty good point. Okay, we'll downgrade it to the top I, of C. Uh, but let's say B if you're not driving. Okay, it's a hard C if you're right, the one okay, driving. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're gonna we're going to put it at the bottom of B then. Um, okay, here's one. But for remember our, those radio houses. Oh yeah. Whoa. Oh, what could that possibly Shoot, mean? Hunter, that's so true. The the that ones puts that it at least D have their own. <laughs> <laughs> oh, with the music that you station? tune into, yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, I'm moving it above Cookies for Santa. <laughs> Final answer. No, I did um, the opposite of what I wanted. Uh, okay, here's one from Hunter and I's family. This is uh, top yeah. of A tier for sure. It's monkey Unless bread it's been cooked bad. My, well, and which is really there's a 25 to 75 <laughs> ratio of good years to bad years here. But yep. regardless, <laughs> sorry, Catherine. Regardless, sorry, Catherine. Um, this is it is a basically cinnamon roll that you peel apart out of uh, a dish. It's amazing, and you guys should should try it. Uh, caroling, I that's S-tier. hellfire, right? Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. Here's the thing. I love that mix. <laughs> I love the idea of caroling, especially if it was, you know, some some jolly old Londoners. But now it's just like the most annoying kids in your neighborhood yeah. singing in sync. Yeah. Here's here's caroling if they were honest about it. You get a knock at the door. You put your pants back on. You open the door. <laughs> There's just a group of people questions. that are like, hey, could we inconvenience you with a bunch of untrained singers for, <laughs> I don't know, four to five minutes? That uh, is the most curmudgeonly thing I have heard. <laughs> you can, in, you can say is, yes, or you can say no. That is literally Scrooge. Say, or be viewed as a Scrooge. Yeah. No, I'm no, watching them up at Christmas. No, I, but here's and I the, haven't got to the end. Have you? This that's is a the, thousand percent based. This is the worst feeling of Christmas ever. 
you listen to some pubescent schmucks sing in ex Chelsea's Deo. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, thank you so much. That's uh, the holiday spirit. And then they start into another song. Jingle that moment no. is, <laughs> is pure soul death. That's Hold the kind on. of moment I where it's like, we're going to have to put Pop Pop down, but it's a group of kids and you can't do that. <laughs> it's the same feeling, though. I think there's like a beauty in that, personally. Because the, the eye wrong. contact that you get to make with that kid as you close the door. <laughs> oh, wait. That's a great point. And then through the door, Santa, is it real? <laughs> Where you open the door and throw the wreath back at them. Um, all right. Uh, you know what? That got me to D tier. Cool. All right. I'll take it. Um, I like how Ben had to destroy his own point to get you to move it <laughs> up the ladder. It's also worth noting, it is a tradition. It is classic. You don't really see it anymore. Yeah. yeah it's very it's very rare. If, if you have a cool neighborhood or a cool community yeah. sometimes. Yeah. I um, guess you guys don't live in a gentrified neighborhood. It'll happen for you one day. God, Hunter, that was very affluent of you. <laughs> Wasn't it, though? Somehow that was the most racist thing said on the show. <laughs> This is our artisanal Christmas hymns. <laughs> Meanwhile, you get a oh, knock at the good. door, and it's like, uh, huh, can we sing some of Young Thug's Christmas hits for you? I'd be like, okay, keep talking. <laughs> oh, but no. that's just me. That's just Nick. Free Thug. Um, free, free Thuggy. Um, uh, this should be easy. Stockings, C-tier, they're always fun to open. The gifts are always trash. Oh, I, yeah, I just my agree. mom crushes stockings so hard it's S tier for my family. Mm-hmm. This okay. is another. My parents are just good at Christmas, man. Yeah, Marilyn I Monroe, so. I guess also so. famously great with stockings and looked good in stockings. <laughs> yeah, I, I think this is an easy. <laughs> I think C is correct because like stockings are just kind of like a dumb way to wrap gifts, Christmas presents, right? But no. we all agree gifts are cool. So like, I think that's the. I think that's where I divide the line. Is like. We can all agree gifts are cool no matter how you get them, but stockings are a little weird. Did you guys ever so get like, fruit? I, I knew kids who would get fruit. Yeah. Not only fruit. My parents were Christians. Wait, fruit in a stocking? Yeah, like in yeah. olden times. Yuck. Like why, yeah. why in the world do you want to get like something out of a sock? Like That's what a stocking is. And guess what? It's not a clean sock. It's a sock that's been over a lit fire. Like, this is true. Ooh. This <laughs> you is know? true. The chocolate's Hunter, a little melty. what Christmas is. It is bringing weird things and putting them in strange places. It's hey. taking trees and putting them in your living room. Let it cook. Let <laughs> hey. it cook. Just, it's taking lights and it's putting them outside. It's taking branches and twisting them into circles and throwing them on your door. This is what Christmas is, Hunter. This this okay. warm sock of fruit is to honor the Lord. Amen, brother. <laughs> yeah. Wow. If you Have leave it there to. long enough, it's basically the Last Supper. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, okay, it's hold good. on. Uh, where are we putting this? Uh, so I'm an I'm an S. Hunter's a C. I say we even out and go A. Because that's how compromising works. I've a B or A. Yeah. Okay. Uh, maybe B. I, C. I, I I will put oh. it in B. Oh, okay. We below yeah, cookies for Santa. Let, let's compromise E. Below cookies for Santa. There is no E. <laughs> it's exactly. okay. I'll put it above Christmas lights. What? Whatever, guys. Um. Okay. <laughs> Uh, this one will be hellfire. I will not allow another opinion. The Salvation Army bell ringers. <laughs> yes. How yeah. can you make Christmas and giving to charity annoy me so much? 
Yeah. I, it's it's the worst. It's like, I'm going to Walmart. I don't want anyone to see me right now. <laughs> yeah. So why, why, why would you ask for charity when you know I only do it for the optics? But they do it in the least annoying way possible by ringing a very loud bell in your face. And when you have to walk by them, the bell is just like... Hmm. Enjoy spending ten dollars on Sprite. <laughs> There's kids dying. <laughs> it's like if, this, if this they is... were smart about it, they would take them out of the WalMarts and put them in front of the Targets. <laughs> but I'll say this: the Hunter, last time I have went a gentrification Walmart. comment to make. <laughs> no, put, you said Target put, and not Whole Foods. Put so. them outside of the There's Air no One. I just love the idea of other charities following suit. Like yeah. 75 charities standing outside of a Kroger, just slamming bells, Which just cause screaming you at about? you. Um, I will say the last time I went to Walmart, there was a Salvation Army guy, but he didn't have a bell. And I thought, you know what? I think I have like a couple dollars cash in my wallet. <laughs> Maybe just for doing the decency of not ringing the bell, I'll give him a couple bucks. But then I saw he also didn't have the Santa hat, so... Money rescinded. Mm. <laughs> Turns out, wasn't a Salvation Army guy at all. <laughs> he just you, needed money. You know, what would be sick, and what I would actually pay out for is if every time they got a donation, it was two minutes off the bell. Oh. Mm. And then if then it's like a game that you're playing with the rest of society. It's like a pay it forward. Like if sort you of walk deal. in there and the bell's mm. ringing, you're like, ah, I'll put another quarter in the meter. Reverse you know jukebox. Yeah. Reverse jukebox. Yeah. Idea. In in its current form. Pure Hellfire, yep. below Hallmark movies, Amen, for brother. sure. Um, ben has one special one for us from his family. Here's this my is family's simply, adorable one. It's titled Cross-Stitch Saviors. Ben, yep. take it away. Thank you. So what my mom did is she cross-stitched Mary, Joseph, and a donkey, and then she cross-stitched three wise men. And what she does is, starting at the beginning of the Advent season, she puts them at opposite ends of the house, where in the middle they would meet is the tree. And every day, like kind of like an Elf on the Shelf vibe, she moves them like a little bit closer. And at Christmas, they're at the tree, and there's baby Jesus. But it gets funny because she just leaves them in the middle of the hallway. Like no matter where you're like at, the they're going to be. Yeah, so I hope there's no Catholics listening because Mary just gets yeeted. <laughs> <laughs> she just gets full-on punted every year. And my mom gets super like joke offended. She's always like, how could you do that to the mother of our Savior? And it's it's just pure comedy every year. It's so uh, I I really do like this tradition, although I always knock them over <laughs> intentionally. Yeah. Um, uh, but your mom does a lot of cool cross stitch figurines. Her cross stitch yeah. Muhammad, <laughs> it's the bomb. Is offensive, but also but also I think realistic. <laughs> and I don't know how you get the black eye so accurate on Aisha, but oh. the, the cross stitch beat Aisha. Um, it was hard to cross stitch someone that small. Being wait, is that his 13. like child bride? That's his nine year old wife. Yeah, okay. Um, I I just think your mother's so bold for doing that. Um, but yeah, I I love I love cross stitch Muhammad. So uh, I'm gonna put this at B tier. I think because B- oh, I'm fe- I'm feeling A. Dude, I like it. Oh, I like come on. I like that it's elf on a shelf, but less menacing. Yeah, less menacing. Uh, I'll put it above and with bread. more comedy sometimes. Okay. Um, white elephant secret Santa. For me, this is low. I don't know if it's Hellfire, but it's like, it always seems like it's going to be fun, and it just ends up being, like, very boring. Conceptually, pretty strong, especially White Elephant, because it's, you got a little bit of competition, it's kind of a mind game, 
but here's here's the honest truth is that like 60 to 70 percent of people who show up they picked up something at the store on their way to the party and it's something kind of lame it's like oh great a coffee mug i only have 20 of those um so it has potential to be good but also with white elephant you don't know who you're getting gifts for secret santa could be fun yeah it's not yeah this is low low i don't know how low though it's it's only fun if everyone buys terrible gifts that yeah so you could go full throttle in the other direction and it's good again my wife bought our last white elephant uh shark finger puppets and they scared one of the babies that was in the room so bad that we had to put them away oh it was great i think we put it at d tier and call it yeah i think that's fair all right um I am actually going to take a picture of this. We will post this uh, with the show notes so you can take a look at all of our ratings for our Christmas traditions. And, uh, yeah, and uh, Krampus knocked big winner <laughs> today. <laughs> Top of S tier, right above reading yeah. the entire book of Do Luke. you guys still take uh, emails, write-ins? Uh, yeah, we do. Carl I think Pulling it would be cool to hear uh, if you have a particularly strange or unique Christmas tradition mm, that, that only cool. your family does. I bet. I bet that would be fun to hear. Yeah, that would be fun to hear. Maybe we'll read them out in the new year. Um, Okay, so that was fun. And it brings us into a conversation that I think is worth having and probably one that we've already hinted at a bit. Uh, What is tradition? and, And what is the role of tradition? You know, I think there is a... It's reasonable to say that things should not be sacred because they are tradition. You know, there's this idea that uh, everything that came before has to be upheld. And I think often that idea, it's the, it's the general conservative outlook, right? Um, with the, the fence analogy, figure out why the fence is there before you move it. And, and whereas the liberal analogy is if you can't determine a reason for the fence remove it right so there's this this gravity around tradition that i think if it isn't challenged things deteriorate things stagnate and and stagnation is death on the other hand a lot of tradition and this kind of goes to the the starbucks cup discussion right a lot of tradition points to and invokes these things that are true about our culture and the human condition that we often do not spend the time to to examine and articulate and there's an incredible wealth of information in tradition you can look down your nose at the way that people did things in the past, but the truth of the matter remains that the generations that came before us were successful as evidenced by your own existence. And so they lived in harsher times with harsher realities and and more fatal decision-making. And the, the roles that they played and the games that they engaged in were sufficient to carry us into the future. And that cannot be overlooked. And so there's this rub between between progress and tradition. And I think the integrated view, I assume most of us here would agree, is that you can't blindly hold on to tradition 
and simultaneously you should examine and be able to provide an answer for the relevance of traditions that are worth maintaining. The answer isn't simple. The answer is think more about why those before you did the things that they did and why you might want to keep doing them. Uh, there's an integration there. Any Anybody have any thoughts in that milieu? Yeah, I mean, I would say there are definitely some traditions that when you reflect on them, their value is just that they're traditions and it's like maybe kind of a grounding thing. It's something that brings people together, but it doesn't have any deeper meaning or at least if it does it's been lost to time and that's not why we perform those acts um versus other ones like reading luke or what have you that obviously do have more significance Compass not. Exactly. <laughs> yeah well, sure so wh- one thing that i wanted to do is I-, I actually found three quotes that i think are reflective of modern attitudes to tradition and especially modern attitudes toward traditions of religion and Christmas is one of the major uh, religious traditions, let's say. And they come from three very disparate parts of the sector. I thought we'd read these and analyze them and maybe be able to glean from that these modern attitudes that we have about tradition and how we should be examining and and articulating and ideating around tradition, especially around Christmas. So I actually have a quote from from Nietzsche, from Marx, and from St. Augustine. So let's start with Nietzsche. Let's rank them S tier and B. It's like, for me, it's like S A. Hellfire. <laughs> um, Wait, what? <laughs> yeah, Augustine. Augustine is gone. Uh, <laughs> so, what? This is Nietzsche from Daybreak. What is tradition? A higher authority which one obeys, not because it commands what is useful to us, but because it commands. What distinguishes this feeling in the presence of tradition from the feeling of fear in general? It is fear in the presence of a higher intellect which here commands of an incomprehensible, indefinite power, of something more than personal. There is superstition in this fear. Hunter, what does that quote mean? <laughs> um, it means that... This is the typical response when someone's asked <laughs> to analyze Nietzsche. <laughs> it, it means that the... Um, thing that is commanding you is society itself, right? And that's not a personal command. It's a command against everyone at once. And one of the ways that you can know that is because it's not something imposing itself upon you in the given moment, right? It is not a wolf. It is not a bear. It is not an angry, abusive father. It's not right? a small Santa in a pig mask. It's not a small Santa in a pig mask. And Nietzsche makes one mistake here where he says it's something that's not useful for our survival. And the answer is sometimes it's yeah. not useful for our survival. Yeah. Right? And so he has this view on tradition that it is something 
not necessarily negative, but not necessarily, um, but he's not really concerned with the rightness or the wrongness of it. He's just telling us what it is, right? And it's this thing that imposes its will upon everyone, and it is larger than a person or the society that exists today that's receiving the command from tradition. It's heavier, weightier than everything that is here. Yeah, and, so, and I, Hunter, I like the, how you identified what is useful to us, and that was one of his major critiques. I think this is mm-hmm. actually one of the critiques I have with what I would classify this argument as. The argument, and it, I think he is making a, a moral judgment on tradition, connecting it to a superstitious fear, which if you know anything about Nietzsche's philosophy, he would claim that that was the old way um, and that there is a new a new intellect and ideology to come and replace that and to set mankind on the path to greater liberty, etc., but that doesn't that that is that's where he actually doesn't care about morality. Well, and this is the problem because he he very specifically states his limited view of morality. He is approaching morality from a a purely utilitarian framework, which is totally insufficient. His his basic assumption is that which commands us isn't commanding us out of usefulness. It commands us simply because it commands us, and that is a limited view of morality. This is kind of, to me, it's the Reddit atheist argument. Yeah. yeah. You know what I'm saying? Where you can you can talk around it, but not all of life can be delineated down to a trolley problem. And there's certain things that are right and wrong where the battle for your soul is more important than, let's say, the amount of lives saved or the the quantifiable utility of a set of actions. And I think this is where Nietzsche misses the point pretty drastically in this in this argument and many of his arguments. But there's a there's a simplicity to that which ought to be aspired to in his take. Yeah, and the simplicity goes too far. I think I think he's rejecting simplicity in one sense and embracing it in a different sense. He, he's saying, well, you just submit to the power because it's powerful. You submit to tradition because it holds a, a, a lofty position of combined intellects who have all come before you. But now we can change. And this he doesn't get into that in this quote. But Nietzsche's philosophy is, but now we can submit to our own intellect. Now we can rise above and it's like exactly what you just said, Chris. Where is the morality in that? Yeah. It, it isn't purely utilitarian. You can't just define the rightness and wrongness of following tradition based on who has more power. Right, right. Well, and it's so interesting, too, because Nietzsche, Nietzsche both railed against the game of power politics and completely assuaged to it yeah. at separate pieces throughout his writing, um, which... It's very interesting. He really did think that there was a delineation between the philosopher king and the commoner, and that if we simply had the right rulers, we would have the right rules. And it, it, I think it was his downfall. It's one yeah. of the reasons, actually, why... Not that Nietzsche was a Nazi. It was his sister that was a Nazi, more, more accurately. Oh, wow. But, and converted a bunch of his writings to be... Uh, 
fellow travelers with Nazism. But it's one of the reasons I think that his work was able to be able to be slant rhymed and reused in that manner is because it allowed the door open for this might makes right strategy. And when you, when you believe in, let's say the freeing power of the Ubermensch to come and provide these, these list of ideals that will guide society into a post God age, it's really easy to go from there to eugenics is not only not immensely evil, but unbelievably desirable. Right. Like uh, that, it's that flaw in his reasoning that I think was his was his intellectual downfall. Which luckily he was shored up by uh, so many so other. Maybe figures, to but. sum all of that up, something along the lines of: we don't just embrace tradition because of its utility. We also embrace it for the moral light that it can often shine. Well, and and one one thing to say, I guess yes, and in conjunction with that is we can't simply analyze tradition in light of its utility. Mm-hmm. It's incumbent upon us to look for the deeper morality that exists in tradition. Mm. Yeah. And, and if we're not doing that, we're being too shallow. And, and like, you know, you might not need to reread the book, the entire book of Luke every Christmas <laughs> Eve. Right. But by the same token, what else are you doing? What what's more valuable to spend your time on, and could you could you be doing something else that nurtures your soul in quite that way? Really, a question worth asking. Hunter, it looked like you had something else to add in there. I, I was just thinking that I, I think it's probably wrong to think that Nietzsche is heading to a new morality or is concerned with the question of good and evil, hence beyond good and evil, you know, um, and I, I would say, you know, like, all, you know, when he's, <laughs> he, he doesn't necessarily think tradition is um, not useful or bad or religion is stupid or backwards what what he th- what he really thinks is that society has gotten to the point where it's clearly proven that those forms of thinking are no longer accurate to reality yeah right and but by doing that the entire moral underpinning of life is about to get removed sure right and so like yeah. when he's saying when he's saying it's superstitious that's really what he's saying. He's saying that it's based on a superstition. When he says it's not utilitarian, what he means is believing in tradition doesn't necessarily get to a, to a scientific truth. Right. 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 And I think I think this is the way that many people misread Nietzsche, but it, it's he's able to be. And this is kind of what I was talking about with this. Editor. He's able to be misread because I didn't think he protected his intellectual flank here. Um, I think Nietzsche would generally That's, agree yeah. with this conversation that we're having about mm-hmm. the role of tradition. And, and of course, when he wrote Beyond Good and Evil, he was decrying the fact that society was moving past superstition and moving mm-hmm. past the the arguments of good and evil. And yet, and yet, his solution to that was not to search for the unmoved mover. It was that 
I mean, honestly, he was an egotist. It was that he and others like him would become the guiding light. And it was that, it's that strong man philosophy that allowed him to be mm. mischaracterized. They would find a new philosophy that was neither rooted in morality nor science. Right. Right. That, that was the goal, was to find a new thing was something that like no longer which makes it which makes a quote like this very hard to read correctly yeah because there's there's so many ways that you could want to put your own ideas onto it and not what Nietzsche would be wanting to say um and that kind of goes to your point of he can be misread on his flank um which is his fault so like when I, I I think thinking this and like thinking reddit Red, you know, like redditors reading this is maybe the wrong way to look at it. Yeah, because it, it's. I'm. I, I. You're totally right. I'm kind of intentionally misreading it. Um, ah. In, okay. in a certain, uh, I, I, leaving the person of Nietzsche aside. But there, but also, I think the flaw in this reasoning is inextricable from the flaw in his reasoning generally. Is a, kind of the point I'm making. So sure. So again, like I said, I think he would agree with most of the analysis we've done of the proper role of tradition and yet because he wouldn't acquiesce to the the proper source his argument falls flat here and then it it is picked up and often used not in congruence with what he would actually believe by somebody who would say this to kind of simply say well if you're tradition is superstition your superstition is rooted in fear then discard it he becomes postmodern exactly without ever joining forces with them exactly okay i'm on board well fun Nietzsche is always a fun one uplifting let's go to the uh worst one <laughs> so this is this is um marx from a contribution to the critique of hegel's philosophy this of is my, right this, I, I love this quote you do? All right. Yeah. Then defend it. Gird thy loins, Hunter. Yeah. Religion is the sigh of the oppressed creature, the heart of a heartless world, and the soul of a soulless condition. It is the opium of the people. The abolition of religion as the illusory happiness of the people is the demand for their real happiness. To call on them to give up their illusions about their condition is to call on them to give up a condition that requires illusions. The criticism of religion is, therefore, in embryo, the criticism of that veil of tears of which religion is the halo. So wonderful to say something like the heart of a heartless world and the soul of a soulless condition. Um, it, it, the thoughts like that speak so deeply to the way Mark saw the world, mm-hmm. and that when you see these conversations where people have where they only speak about economics and oppression and right to power and all of this nonsense without any of the actual like meat in reality of being a human to some extent it's like where does that all come from where why do we only see women in the as competing in the world of men right and following a man's biological clock why has feminism never tried to build the world around the way a female works but only a way but only the way around a man works so it's a very interesting like biological question there is no feminist model that fits the world right it's always women saying they can fit into a men's biological rhythm of how the world works. Um, 
very interesting interview Barry Weiss did with someone a while back on honestly about the same topic if you're interested and so I think it's like this terrifying thing um, that that Marxism does is because it essentially it, it says religion is this is this heart and this soul and it calls religion for what it exactly is and says they have nothing to do with our world that we want to make which is exactly what Marx wanted to do was take take all of that out yeah in, sense. In, in a way he's a call and response to Nietzsche in a way that would horrify Nietzsche um, that's correct yeah. but but he is trying to move on to this this new form of morality forged in his likeness and that is it's it's terrifying and this this idea that you can find true happiness in the world one by eschewing a call to something higher and also by discarding the traditions that brought us thus far is mm-hmm. incredibly hubristic but simultaneously it's so it, it's like much Marxist thinking, there's an internal incongruency to it. And it's so funny in this quote specifically when he's talking about the soul of a soulless condition and the heart of a heartless world. Uh, he is making the religion of a religionless world. He is designing the grand yes. narrative of a world that's tried to discard its grand narratives. Yeah. And it's yes. it's so funny to me in a, in a kind of a morbid and sad way. Yeah. No, I agree. I think... Um like incredibly you're lacking self-awareness if you think well i don't practice any organized religion so i don't have any rituals or i don't have any quote-unquote uh religious practices that i engage in it's Mm. well you're it's something else you know unless your life is literally total chaos there's some Mm. kind of rhythm some kind of um something you engage in that is grounding you and you know what i guess this is like what more of a materialist view of the world that he's kind of arguing for so that could look like different things to different people but it's incredibly blind to say well those people you know are in a poor economic position and for them religion uh relieves that it makes them feel better about the way their life is set up that that can be true but i'd say by and large for most people that's ooh, i can have a little treat i can have a little uh a smoothie on the way to work and that's you know little niceties like that are kind of (laughs) what is uh their opium as it were yeah yeah that statement religion is the opium of the people is incredibly incredibly strong language especially given the time that this was written and and when you're talking about materialism i mean listen to listen to this phrasing to call on them to give up their illusions about their condition is to call on them to give up a condition that requires illusions the the meaning being that if they can simply give up on god they will no longer need to have any self-deception whatsoever and yet d- embedded directly in the Marxist philosophy is pure utopianism, which hmm. is what is what, you know, Christianity or, or really any of the major three religions are often Nirvana accused heaven. of when when you haven't considered them at all. And the truth of the matter is that Christianity is not a utopian religion. Christianity is a duty based religion. It's a religion hmm. that says um, 
heaven for me, heaven for us is being rightly oriented to serve and praise that which is praiseworthy. That there's something higher calling us up. And the closer we get to that, the more fulfilled, the more happy we will be. It goes back to the Solzhenitsyn quote that is literally one of the most useful analytical tools for for dissecting the modern theology of secularism, which is that if we had all of our wants met and we did nothing but eat rich foods and lie in warm ponds and go about procreating that in two weeks we would tear everything down just so something interesting happens. It is Dostoevsky. Who did I say? Solzhenitsyn? You said Solzhenitsyn. Okay, sorry. I just protecting your flank. Thank you. Dostoevsky. It's like, (laughs) it is, I was talking about Solzhenitsyn earlier today as he's on the brain, but it's all good. It is that, it is that mistake that Marx makes. And in your, exactly right to call it materialism here nick because it is it is a misunderstanding that having our material needs met will make us moral like if america is not the largest body of evidence to that fact nothing else possibly could be we are richer and more affluent and have more opportunity and are more successful and are more comfortable than any other group of people ever on the face of the planet. And yet we are quickly falling into the same and more disastrous versions of the moral traps that destroyed every empire that came before us. Uh, we, we continually prove as the human species that our desire is not for utopia. Our desire is for purpose. And the reason that we often attach ourselves on to utopia and pretend like it is our purpose and our goal is because utopia is a thing that secularists believe they can be the god of. Yeah. They can, they believe they can be the harbinger of utopia. Yeah. And it's just a lie. And even if they caught if the dog caught the car it wouldn't know what to do next. Yeah. Um obviously there's crime and all kinds of atrocities that come out of desperation from being in a poor economic position. Uh but not quite to the magnitude of having like all of the money in the world and nothing stimulates you anymore. And you're flying to an Island. (laughs) You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah, exactly though. Yeah. There's, there's a type of evil that only affluence can create. Hmm. Um, This is, this is an important thing to remember about Christianity, right? If you could say that like Buddhism was to achieve Nirvana, which is a complete dismemberment from this reality. Right, and then to enter into a heavenly state outside of it. Maybe that's one way to conceive of it. And if communism is actually to create utopia on earth, Christianity is the religion that says utopia can exist on earth as long as the spiritual realm, God, is brought into alignment with it and its followers adhere to it more than anything else. And that will happen when the kingdom is brought to earth by Jesus. And, right. and that's how and Christ like, teaches us to pray, right? Yep. Your yes. kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And and not only that, but it's Second Corinthians five seven. It's we walk by faith and not by sight. Christianity yeah. isn't the illusion. It's the understanding that the things that we can tactically perceive as being the most real are fake in the face of an almighty God. 
that there's things that are more real than the things that we can touch. Yeah. And, and that's the most profound well, idea that has ever impacted human philosophy, period, in my it's, estimation. It, it's also the things that we touch are filled with more spirit than we could possibly well, imagine. Absolutely, there's that too. Right. The, yeah. To kind of bring it back to Christmas, um, <laughs> something, well, no, I mean, <laughs> <we're>, <laughs> some, something that's pretty interesting to me is, and I'm probably misquoting yeah. this a little bit, but the gist is true, is that uh, shalom, the word, sort of what's baked into that that we don't pick up on is... It actually the, means Merry Christmas. It, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Check me. <laughs> Merry, uh, Merry uh, Savior. Miss. that we don't believe in <laughs> no but shalom uh has this meaning in it that has to do with god's presence being with you but also you being oriented correctly your life being in congruence with god beautiful so when you think of peace on earth goodwill towards men that's you know i think that's pretty awesome yeah no that, that that's fantastic and, and and that is what what god would have of us um not just a chill time but right right standing with god to most secular jews shalom means let's have a chill time what up what up my g (laughs) uh ben did you have something there no okay all right um finally we get to an amazing quote um from saint augustine uh and i don't actually know what this is from so i just know that it's attributed to him Awake mankind for your sake, God has become man. Awake you who sleep, rise up from the dead, and Christ will enlighten you. I tell you again, for your sake, God became man. You would have suffered eternal death had he not been born in time. Never would you have been freed from sinful flesh had he not taken on himself the likeness of sinful flesh. You would have suffered everlasting unhappiness had it not been for his mercy. You would never have returned to life had he not shared your death. You would have been lost if he had not hastened to your aid. You would have perished had he not come. Let us then joyfully celebrate the coming of our salvation and redemption. Let us celebrate the festive day on which he, who is the great and eternal day, came from the great and endless day of eternity into our own short day of time. St. Augustine. Let me just start by saying... Brilliant thinker, St. Augustine. He was spitting. Spitting. And his illusion and analogy of God entering time and taking on flesh, this idea that's actually a a quasi-Taoist idea that says, I had to become like you so you could become like me, but rightly aligned, which is not, I had to become like you so you could become like me, but I had to become like you so that you could be reconciled to me is just a fantastic, um, philosophically rich idea. And when you look at it in the light of tradition, this is the path that Marx, of course, missed and that Nietzsche was uh, afraid to walk, which is that the tradition, the old ways are essential in that they have connected us and those that came before us to something that cannot be moved by 
the shifting of time and the shifting of ideas and the shifting of the cultural center. Here it is a, a understanding and allocation that there was a singular moment in the history of humanity that reverberates throughout the cosmos that has made all the difference for us. And it is not anything to do with what man did. Mm. And so your tradition isn't, a requirement or a set of acts that can march you closer to this idea of progress in humanity or utopia or getting the rules right or the ubermensch. It's actually the tradition that is meant to connect you to the thing that has been done before you and done for you and done in you. And that's the proper mode of tradition. It's not things we do. It's acquiescent to the things that have been done. Yeah. And that's the right way to look at tradition in my estimation. Okay. And, and I think that gets us like full circle to, to the whole Christmas cup, keep the Christ in Christmas, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays fight is one side is feeling something slipping away from the holiday and what they're feeling slip away from the holiday is the focused on Christ. And what I don't hear a lot of people articulating what exactly that means and why that's significant. And I think what you just said is spot on because hypothetically, if the Christian religion is true, then there is literally nothing more worthwhile we could be doing than glorifying the one who saved us and therefore celebrating his birth, celebrating the action of God becoming man is the most worthwhile thing to do. There's this old quote that worth, worth, goodness, now I can't say it. Worship is worth-ship. It is ascribing worth. It is giving what is already due. It is you are worth this and therefore it is my job to pay it. And if there is an unpayable sum, then our lives are just about paying as much as we possibly can. And I don't mean that in the sense of, well, we can pay enough. I mean that is we never can, so let's just keep paying because this is what our life is about. And that which, that's what gives the tradition depth. That's when it becomes really meaningful and, and exciting and rich. It's not when, oh, yay, it's whatever it means to you. It's nice trees. It's, it's fun presents. It's, no, I'm engaging an eternally significant act. Like, I am recognizing the fact that exactly what Augustine just said, that God himself took on flesh, became like me so that I could become like him, which is just absolutely absurd. The scripture says that we have an inheritance with him. It's right. just ridiculous. Right. And, and that's that's this idea that's replete in uh, the gospels and the epistles, is just that your call now isn't crusades. It's not to further the cause. It's to be Christ, who at this point has left, right? It's to be him in this day and age that because he became like us, we might be Christ to a world that desperately needs him. Yeah. It's such a stark contrast between Nietzsche and Marx and Augustine here because they see themselves as the primary, the, uh, um, not Augustine, but Marx and Nietzsche see themselves as the primary actors that our traditions are our actions that shape the world. Yeah. It, truly, it's the action, the only action that ever shaped the world. Our traditions connect us into that spirit. And, and it, it's such a, it, I just, the dichotomy of those two ideas is extreme. It's an answer to the question of the materialism question that 
Marx was was bringing up. You know, there are things that are deeper than our material needs, and it's it's why when we we you know the words of Jesus when we ask him how to pray, he says, "Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven." That the kingdom of God, the utopia that we can ascribe to, is inseparable from the will of God. And how do we how do we enact the will of God? It's not a it's not a society that we set up. It's not laws that are moral. Yeah. It's not a, a, a governmental system that is is pro Christianity. It is it is a list of duties it's a list of responsibilities and that's different than rules right rule rules are are prohibitions but duties are paradise duties are paradise because you have that integrated feeling that what i'm doing right now truly matters centrally to the heart of the world and it and i'm i owe it and, and i owe more than it but I am engaged properly with the world right now, and that's the kingdom of God. Yeah. And, and you know that, like if you're a Christian and you're listening, when you're acting in accordance with that, you know that it's true. You know those moments where you are not doing what Chris would do, but you're doing as best you can what you think the will of God is. And like you, you want a little taste of the Soma, that's the real Soma. And it's not invented in a lab. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. There's, so. I, I think that, to me, reminds me of this beautiful concept in theology. It's so simple but profound, I think, is already and not yet. It's what is the kingdom of heaven? Well, it's already here and it's not yet here. And it's yeah. like, it's both. It's, it's Simultaneously, God, or Jesus came down and said, the kingdom's here. I'm it. What's up? How's it going? And do do as I do. This is the kingdom of heaven. And then he also says, but every day for the rest of your life, keep praying your kingdom come. Right. Yeah. Because it's already taken up residence, but the utopia isn't here. Yeah. There's definitely something poetic about uh, for one day or maybe a couple of weeks leading up to the day, once a year, at least in America and some other countries, that the center of culture comes into alignment with the center of time and but that's grand sounding everything but it's not as significant as what you were saying chris about being able to embody that and live that out we have that opportunity every day yeah. that's right that's true um i think it tells on a culture that wishes that it was post superstitious let's say what's it i think it tells on a culture that we yearn for this narrative we yearn for uh this season of agreement and alignment and the fact that well that it has always existed in a certain sense uh, and that since the expansion of the church and since christ it's been centered around that narrative you know, because there's we, we we did an episode about this a couple of years ago with we talked about Yule Tide and Saturnalia and those kind of things and there's been these festivist winter holidays that have existed for a long time but how easily were those co-opted by an idea that says actually there's something more important than you and you can engage with it like there it it's not at all obvious to the modern thinker 
Uh, And you can make the Christianity as a security blanket because you're afraid of hell argument, which is insipid and small for so many reasons. Atheists just don't think Christians have ever asked themselves these questions, right? But the fact that that idea spoke to humans and the human condition so centrally that it was able to supersede and 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 outclass all those other ideas to fold into this Christmas holiday and you know this reaction against it is a modern outcropping in in many ways um, that it was able to sublimate that desire for purpose um, across all different cultures is extremely telling and now in our modern age every atheist friend non non-christian muslim american friends many of mine celebrate christmas and the the reason is because i think it's a time of year kind of like you were saying nick where we may not attribute it properly, right. but we play the game as if we might have the kingdom of heaven here. And it's, it's intoxicating yep. it, and it's, it's ultimately desirable. And, um, sure it's been commercialized and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but why wouldn't you take the most powerful idea of all time and use it to sell more Coke to polar bears? But <laughs> that, that is the power of the responsibility and the duty of tradition mm. that Christmas brings into such tight contrast. And I think it's a really worthwhile thing to spend some time thinking about as you go through the season. Maybe traditions aren't me replicating patterns uh, on society that are going to shape the future. Maybe tradition is me replicating patterns that have been inscribed on the heart of every man. So. Nietzsche and Marx both said tear down and Augustine seemed to say kneel down. Rather than let's rip down things because we're smarter and we're better and we can build it better because we know. Augustine said no, he he knew better so let's spend our time rejoicing and serving. And come on, what's what's a better mission? Is it ripping things down or is it serving? It's that simple to me. Agreed. Well, anything else? Cool. Well, Nick, Ben, thank you so much for joining us for this holiday um, red cup episode. Happy Saturnalia. (laughs) Happy Yuletide to you. Um, And Kwanzaa was still invented by a a rapist. Uh, Thank you for joining us. What a lovely conversation we've had. Thanks for helping us with the tier list and sharing your traditions with us. And thank you, listener, for giving us some of your time over the busy Christmas season. We hope that you found this culturally enriching and enlightening to you. Please uh, leave us a review. Five stars are the only ones we accept. Otherwise, uh, we get paid $10,000 directly from George Soros anytime you leave a four-star review or lower. You can uh, follow us on all the socials. We're at carpooling. I'm at chrisxcarl. And Hunter is at Emotional Carl. Anything you guys want to plug while we're here? Nothing. Um, what is a chocolate orange? 
That's a great question. I saw this at the store today. I was like, never again. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. That's that's it. Okay. Uh, ch- a orange. Enjoy a chocolate orange for Nick. And uh, email us your traditions or any thoughts you had about the show at carlpulling at gmail.com. You can go to carlpulling.com and find all of our links there, etc. All of our episodes Ooh. are also posted there. Buy some and, merch. Uh, you can buy some merch. And what should you do store. if a Christmas mouse with a foamy mouth bites you right before Christmas? That's rabies. Good testing. It's called an Iraq a lot. <laughs> <laughs>